This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week, the Clarets pick up a vital three points at home to a Fulham side, also battling the drop. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the Known and Never podcast. Natalie here, just leaving Turf Moor. Yay, we did a win. 2-1, um, what a fantastic result, albeit maybe perhaps not the second half performance that we were looking for. But you know what, a win's a win. That's three back-to-back league wins and both the league table and the season as a whole. It's got a very different... Oh, God, it's absolutely throwing it down. I'm sorry, guys. Um, an absolutely very different um, perspective than it did three games ago. Um, not a great start, obviously. A ridiculous Shirley goal in, what, was it under two minutes? Um, so a lot of question mark around the ground, whether he was offside. I haven't seen it back yet, so I don't know if he was. But I think reports online are suggesting that Tarkovsky played him onside. But it was a ridiculously brilliant strike, and I'm not really sure any of our goalkeepers could have saved that. Um, and it kind of stunned us a little bit, I think. Um, we we hadn't really yet started the game by the time we were 1-0 behind. And both the, the ground, the fans and the bench and the players all looked a little bit stunned but you've got to say credit where credit's due they came back into that game very, very quickly um, and then we went on a, an own goal rampage um, I want to say a quick word about Jeff Hendrick because he's often the fall guy for fans and a lot of people treat him as a little bit of a scapegoat um, I thought he was fantastic today, quite possibly one of the best performances that I've seen Jeff Hendrick play. And he was just creating things and he was making things happen in the box. He, um, well, he was, he was credited in the ground for scoring twice, but I think, in all fairness, both of, you know, certainly the first one, the second one might not do, but uh, will go down as own goals. Um, but without his shots and his creativity, the defenders wouldn't have had a chance to put it in the back of their own net. Um, uh, where does that lick us up to? Half time, yeah, half time. I think we were really dominant. Actually, I was really pleased to see us going in at half time. Um, second half, not quite the same intensity. I didn't think um, it felt very much like Deitch had made the tactical decision to. 
defend that fine margin of a one goal advantage rather than really pushing forward and trying to kill the game. We know Dyche does that quite a lot. He doesn't like to see us exposed and potentially lose a game. But it was kind of frustrating because this was one of those games where we could really have killed it off very, very quickly and, and racked up a comprehensive win and maybe even done something to try and reduce that goal difference that we've got but you know what they, they dug deep they got it in in the end Heaton pulled out a couple of fantastic saves in that second half and we, we, we got the job done I thought that the discipline in the last five minutes especially and into extra time was really professional to make sure that they didn't get any chances really late on could have gone in um, and yeah so there we go three back-to-back wins Burnley clawing themselves further away from that uh, relegation zone and we go to Watford next week so let's see what the guys the rest of the team say we'll be back in Studio World Monday night and I will um, pick up Paul with you then and indeed just like magic here we are back in studio mode Natalie I'm with you again after that uh, immediate post-match reaction and now back in the studio I am joined by Statman Dave, Stat, good evening. Stat, Dave? I'm actually going to start calling you Stat. That's not good. Dave, good evening. I've been called worse. Uh, good evening, <laughs> Good evening. And as a special treat this evening, we are joined by the usual quiet, shy in the shadows producer, Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? Hello, hello. Yes, we're all good, thank you. It's very nice to have you. It's very nice to have you on this side of the um, microphone for a once rather than having to edit all of my little notes. I think at the end of each show, I have to send Matt a little note saying, editing notes, I messed up on this time and this time. And please, can you cut that sentence out because I said something stupid. So Matt is most definitely my um, saviour when it comes to (laughs) editing and producing the podcast. Um, So immediate post-match reaction out of the way. As you can tell, I was cold and wet and out of breath leaving Turf Moor, but very, very ecstatic with a really, really important win. Um, before we go any further, just to keep in that theme of, um, I guess, immediate reaction, um, Dave, Matt, Dave, you go first. Like, w- What was your immediate feeling coming off the turf on Saturday? Um, I was happy with the result. I think we um, ground out the result in the end. It was good to see that Burnley had managed to come from behind again. We haven't done it too many times in the uh, uh, Premier League since we got promoted, but that's uh, that's twice in two games, which is the first time we've done uh, done it back to back. Which uh, following uh, on from Huddersfield, and particularly against the two opponents and uh, where they are on the table, it was uh, it was vital. So yeah, delighted with uh, another win and uh, three on the spin. What about you, Matt? What was your immediate thoughts coming away from the game? Well, when they went a goal behind so early on, I, 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 my heart kind of sank, and I thought, "Is this going to be one of those afternoons where we kind of we huff and puff for eighty-eight minutes and come away with nothing?" Um, and you know, it's strokes of luck in some respect to, to get back into it and then to get ahead, but probably deserved as well for the pressure they were putting on. And and yeah, it, like you said, it was absolutely vital. Really, I know you talked about last week the uh, the fixture list that we've got between now and the end of the season. And these are the games where you have to take three points because there's enough games in there where the likelihood is that we might won't take any points. And for as good as we're playing, we still need a lot of points. Yeah, we definitely do. Um, that's That game on Saturday marks three back-to-back league wins, which at some points this season, I don't think any of us saw this team being able to do. And it, it's catapulted us um, into 15th in the table. And, you know, there's, there's three points between us and, and Newcastle in 18th. And, 
it just feels at the moment like there's much more positivity behind the ground. And I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we went away to Watford and um, and got something there. Um, Matt, let's stay with you just while you're on that one, because you raised a really good point there and you started to talk about that early goal. And, and I think I shared your initial concern with just it happened so quickly in the game, did that um, Shirley goal. And, and I think, I don't think we necessarily had got our heads in gear in the opening stages of the game. We hadn't quite switched on yet. And it was frustrating to see us concede such an early goal, especially when it throws your game plan completely out the window. Um, But Matt, it was such a a beautiful strike. I'm I'm not entirely sure that many teams or any keepers are going to stop that, are they? No, they're not. There's no stopping that. I mean, you know, he is a World Cup winner and and he has amassed the transfer fees of over 70 millions I think I read on Twitter today so that there is a reason why that they brought him in in the summer and there's a reason why he scored against us twice now he is world class when he wants to be um it was a, a lovely ball down to him um you know we look at our defense and ask the questions of the defense Tarkovsky was just a little behind playing him on uh, and I thought that Ben Mee was a bit slow to react, really. I think, you know, he could have sped up when he realised that he was onside. And then when he gets that touch and controls it, for me, me is still moving a bit slow, really. He's not he's not moving fast enough to, to get in between the man and, and the goal. Uh, so, yeah, on, on the centre-backs, I think, were, could both have done a bit more there. There was, they were certainly not at full match speed. Um, and it just gave us you know, a, a bit of a hill to climb, really. I did see a lot of talk on social media after the game, Matt, just people talking about, actually probably during the game, people talking about how wasted Schiller is in that Fulham side and how it's it's kind of incredible, really, that he hasn't been snapped up by one of, one of the top sides. It feels a little harsh on Fulham, does that? Because I think they did build themselves a pretty decent squad before the season started. But I guess maybe now we're starting to come towards the end of January and it's looking pretty bleak for Fulham. It does look like they probably will go down. Do you expect anybody to come in and try and, and, and pilfer, him, pilfer him off them? Um, I think if he if he does enough to put himself in the shop window, if he gets you know a few more goals before the end of the season, then yeah, there's always going to be people sniffing around him. Um, I'm not entirely sure of his age off the top of my head um, and, you know, whereabouts he is in his career. But um, a World Cup winner who, who can, you know, can do such stuff like that is always going to be uh, going to be of interest to clubs. Just a shame, you know, it wasn't somebody that we could go in and get because and it's the kind of player that, that we could certainly do with. God, yeah, we really could, especially scoring goals like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was probably outside of our price range, both in transfer fees and in wages. I think. But um, just to, to clarify that, Matt, I mean, do you do you think there's any chance that somebody could come in in January and take him, like now? Uh, I don't think so. I, I certainly haven't seen um, him making enough headlines this season to uh, to to warrant a, a way out, and and. I think Fulham would be keen to keep him because he, you know, he is one of their bright sparks in attack, and you know that they they're still fighting, and there's there's still a chance that you know they could fight their way out of it if they could put together a run of games like we have just done. Um, so I'd be surprised if he went, um, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in the summer should they go down. Yeah, I think he'll definitely go if if they go down. Um, but there you go, Fulham fans. The, the voice of reason from producer Matt, you're going to keep hold of him until he's at least the end of the season. Um, Dave, just looking at, at the technical points of that goal and something that Matt just touched on a minute ago, 
I I did wonder at the time whether our defence looked a little bit static. Um, and it was really difficult to see in real time because it, it did look like it was just a phenomenal pass and, and, and something that had just kept just sorry, taking our uh, defence completely by surprise. But when you look back at the replays after the game, I think you've kind of got to question Tarkovsky's sharpness. The rest of the back four keep playing completely offside and keep the line really well. And it's Tarkovsky that just drifts forward and, and pretty much half his body is playing him massively onside. Do you think he can maybe do better there? I think first and foremost, we've got to uh, say it was a fantastic goal. The, the control, the way it brought the ball down was uh, really impressive so early in the game to uh, have the concentration to do that. I guess, yeah, if you've been uh, ultra-critical, you can say that, uh, you know, pick the bones out of the defensive performance there. But I think it's one of those where, you know, in, in terms of the percentages, the number of times that ball's going to be brought down and uh, hit on target like it was is in, you know, fractions of percentages so um it's perhaps a little bit harsh to then once the goal goes in to um to lay the blame totally at our defenders doors but I'm, I'm sure they'll question themselves they'll, they'll after the game um that'll be something that they'll be looking at and uh, it's not the first time i've been caught cold in a game what, what i was pleased by actually was the uh the way we recovered from that i think the the the, the crowd certainly stayed on side um the vocal support continued uh, after that early goal um, and the players got down to it and got back into the game. And uh, Jeff Hendricks seemed to be uh, driving a lot of that. Um, and he was uh, involved in, in both of Burnley's goals. Yeah, well, let's stick on with that then, Dave, because I think one of the things that I was really impressed with was the very quick shift in attitude that the Burnley side showed from going that goal down so early on in the game. It, I did feel a little bit um, like I've been punched in the stomach when that first went in. And and like like both of you said early on, I was a little bit worried about <clears throat> whether we had the ability and the resilience to, to get back into the game as quickly as we did. But it really seemed to give them the rocket that they needed. And, and I agree with you, Dave. I think the crowd had a huge part to play in that as well, in that everybody was suddenly, actually, no, come on, let's wake up, let's go on this. And number one, I think that's not something we've seen all this season. Um, it's certainly a... a, a a characteristic that we showed last year, but maybe not so much this year. Um, but it came from, like you say, a very unlikely source in Jeff Hendrick, who just went on a one-man mission in that first half. I mean, that's the Jeff Hendrick that we've been waiting to see for ages, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah. And it, it's, um, again, not in the position we'd necessarily uh, ex- expect to see him playing in. He's played in uh, just behind the striker. He's been uh, brought into the side this time uh, in a wide position. Um, and he's he's done the job. I mean, he's he's, he's uh, got those shots uh, towards goal. There's been too many games where we haven't been in those positions and and shooting towards goal. Yeah, we got a little bit of luck. The first goal, I think it's debatable whether it was going in or not. Um, it hasn't been given to to him yet. It, it may be uh, changed at a later date. The second one was definitely going wide and was, was definitely an own goal. But again, if you're not getting those shots in and, and in those positions to take those shots you're not going to get those chances. So we had a little bit of luck, yeah, but I think that um, the positive player, the positive attitude going forward was um, was promising um, and it did seem to be Jeff Hendrick behind uh, quite a lot of those chances. What did you think of it, Matt? I mean, like you say, it's not been that often this season that we've seen players running into the box and trying to create something. And, and whilst, like I say, that both of the goals were given as... Um, as own goals, 
it's you've got to give pretty much all the credit to Hendrik for those chances, don't surely? Yeah, you do. He he was he was very bright and very direct. He certainly wasn't the Jeff Hendrick that we saw against Barnsley the week before. Um, it was like a different different player, really. But it was good that he seems to have looked around him and gone, well, we've got no Brady, we've got no JBG, we've got no Defoe. Someone's got to get get hold of this ball and and drive it forward and just put it in the box and see what happens because against a team like Fulham, something's going to happen. Um, you know, there's a reason why they, they, they've shipped so many goals and they're in the position they are. Um, so it was very promising to see that. Yeah, he was playing in a position where he's been slated, you know, so much in, in that kind of a more attacking midfield role. He seems to get more criticism there than praise. He seems to get praise more when he's when he's in a more of a defensive midfield role. So it was good to see him getting praise for that position um, and to just be direct because... You know, we've been screaming out for it for for half a season. Just put the ball in there and see what happens. If the ball's not in there, it's never going to go in the back of the net. So, yeah, it was great to see that from him. And I think as well, it just makes a difference not shoving him in that number 10 role, which he can't play in, which Dyche has insisted. I've got to say, I was pretty pleased to hear the praise that Dyche poured on Hendrik after the game but more importantly the acknowledgement from Deitch that they do ask an awful lot of, of Hendrik and it was he was pleased himself to see it pay off for him and for him to deliver that performance and create those goals Hendrik has become a real fall guy amongst um, Burnley fans. I think a lot of people are frustrated with the lack of um, creative spark that we've maybe seen from him. And a lot of people have questioned just what he offers to the side and what he brings. And I've always really defended him on that basis. Sorry, defended him on the basis that Deitch has often played him as a makeshift player and, uh, you know, put him in positions that is just not his natural position and what is not, trained and developed to play to the best of his ability so to hear Deitch come out and say that they do ask a lot of him and and how delighted he was to see it pay off today I think was really really nice of him to do and I really felt for him it definitely belonged to Hendrik did the day Um, I actually thought at the end that he was a little bit robbed of the man of the match performance I think there were probably only Westwood and Hendrik that could have put a claim to it um, but for me, it was very, very, very close. I thought I thought Westwood was absolutely superb. Um, and I think I would probably just edge Hendrick because he did score the two goals as well. So quick fire to both of you. Dave, would you have gone Hendrick or Westwood? Uh, Westwood. Matt? I, th- I think I would have gone with Hendrick. I think, you know, for all the good work that Westwood has been doing in these in these matches, he um, Hendrick, like you say, he, he had a hand in both goals. Um, so yeah, I think he would have got my nod. See, two one to Hendrik. Dave, you lose. Sorry. <laughs> um, let's stick at the moment on the own goals because what has been dominating the press since the game, which for some reason Optus stats hate us, and everybody seems to like to highlight really horrible stats about us. We are the first team since two thousand and four, and Statman Dave will hopefully correct me if that's wrong. Um. Or maybe we're the first team ever actually to score. Is it what's the stat, Dave? It, is it, it win games with no shots? I don't know what it is. I'm making this it, up. It's happened a few times. I, I don't. I'm not sure the stats actually go back that far. I think it did say since 2003-4. Um, it's happened. I think four times previously. It was on uh, match of the day. I think I took a screenshot and tweeted it out. Um, it's happened four times before where teams haven't had a single shot on goal, um, but have still won a Premier League match. 
but the previous four occasions were all by a 1-0 scoreline, whereas Burnley winning is the first time it's happened with a team scoring twice without a shot on goal, obviously winning uh, 2-1 in the game. But I think that may well uh, still be from 2003. I don't think the uh, stats are maintained in the same way for matches prior to that. I think Octa probably only got involved from uh, from that time onwards. It did feel a bit like uh, football didn't exist before the Premier League when they when they put those statistics out on Saturday, I must say. <laughs> but I imagine a lot more came in at the time of the launch of the Premier League in terms of analysis. But I did look at it on Saturday and go, oh, did surely people have scored more own goals in the past than that. Well, you know, if, if you if you watch any news channel these days, it's number one, football didn't exist before the start of the Premier League and football outside of the top six of the Premier League is also irrelevant. So I think that's pretty clear. Um, I, I've got to say, though, regard, regardless of that stupid stat, um, I refuse to acknowledge that we didn't have a shot on goal because Jeff Hendricks' first goal is absolutely not an own goal. It's absolutely Hendricks' goal and therefore constitutes a shot on target. Um, Dave, do you agree? Um, well, I think we'll put it to the Harry Kane test. I think if, if, if Harry Kane had taken the shot, um, would it have been credited to uh, to him and would he have been claiming it? So on, on that basis, then, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's too. Um, Matt, what did you think? I mean, I, I every time I see it, and there's quite a lot of graphics, this is one of the benefits of modern football, is you can see, you know, it's, it leaves his foot and it's going directly into the net. So it doesn't need to be deflected off the um, defender to go into the back of the net. So surely that's got to count, yeah? Yeah, I think match of the day drew as a handy little arrow showing the uh, the projected path of the ball just nestling inside the far post. So, um, yeah, I think in real time, whoever sits there, I don't, I don't know, Dave might know how these... Uh, how the statistics get kind of recorded as the match goes along, but you, you could be forgiven for thinking it was off target um, during the match. But surely these things that then must get corrected afterwards, and uh, you know, and, and the player should be rewarded a goal. Um, I mean, my hurricane test goes back to the one that went in off his bottom in the World Cup and gave him a hat trick in that game. So if he gets that one, then surely Hendrick should get this one. You've just completely distracted me now. So I'm not really sure that that's maybe a visual that I needed reminding of on this Monday night when I'm trying to concentrate on on the podcast. Um, Dave, I think you were giving us a nudge. Then, did you want to add something to that point? Um, yeah, I was going to say in terms of the process. I think the the way they do it is what the press association records on the day of the match, and they gave it as an own goal. What happens then is there's um, a dubious goals panel that sits from time to time, and they review any um, controversial. Goals either way in terms of, you know, was it a different player that touched the ball on the way through, like the one the Harry Kane goal I was referring to, or the instance like the uh, Jeff Hendrick one. But it's not something that sits every week or every month. It's just from time to time as they see fit. So um, I guess it depends when they reconvene as to whether that will change. But we'll guess, I guess we'll see it on the uh, uh, Premier League website as and when it changes. And it'll be, uh, I guess, be mentioned uh, in the news and uh, on social media too. The better I'd do, or I might have a rant at them. I've not had a good rant for ages. I might, I might take this on personally. We'll do it. Um, so for all the good that the first half was, and, and obviously that the buoyant um, atmosphere at half time um, wasn't quite the same level of intensity in the second half. This was a game that I think was very much labelled a game of two halves. Um, Dave, I, I'm not really sure what happened at half time because. To me, it was a completely different attitude in the second half. The players looked nervous, and I don't know whether or not Deitch had somehow either communicated 
explicitly or implicitly that, you know, they had to protect this lead as much as possible. But there were times in that second half we weren't even trying to score. And, and it was a really nervy performance and one that very nearly let Fulham back into the side. Game even, not back into the side, definitely back into the game. Yeah, there were once or twice, uh, one or two times in the uh, second half where the uh, the strikers in particular fluffed the lines was uh, Barnes and Wood weren't quite um, communicating as well as you would have hoped. Um, and we didn't really create that much in the second half, but um, we soaked up the pressure well. I thought that, uh, yeah, it, it was a game of two halves. Burnley were not as fluent in the second half as they had been after the Fulham goal in the first half. Um, and that momentum uh, that we... Uh, had going into half time just didn't continue afterwards um but i thought that uh, at the end of the day it's a, a professional job we got the result um and again that's the main thing i think you 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 well i look back and in terms of other performances um we had the 2-1 win against uh, cardiff and that was more of a um maybe undeserved result than the one on on saturday against fulham I thought on the balance of the game, even though we had the luck and the own goals, Burnley did really deserve it. But it was based on um, pretty much the performance in the first half uh, rather than anything we did in the second. Yeah, I think one of the, the key points as well to that second half performance was definitely some defending that that needed to be done. And, and, and for, for maybe some criticism that our defence has had this season. My goodness, did they help us get those three points. Uh, Matt, two things particularly um, in that second half that our defence did well. I think uh, Heaton pulled out a pretty decent save, um, which was quite close range. But can we just talk for a minute about that Tarkovsky um, block off the line? Oh, my God. I mean, I, I don't think we've seen that at Burnley since Ben Mee put his head to that foot um, a few seasons ago. It was pretty exceptional, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, it, it, his awareness to, to be back there and and just the, the reactions to, to be as reactive as as a keeper, and and yeah, I, I, and in the conditions as well. Really, you know, his foot could go down anywhere. He could have slipped. He could have ended up on his rear end with the ball in the back of the net, looking rather foolish. So the, there's a few kind of points in that as what well, in in what he did. Um, um, there was obviously an element of luck, uh, as there are in any uh, any blocks like that. But um, and and Heaton's reaction is just kind of adds to it and makes the whole thing ten times better, in, in my opinion. It just sums up exactly why he's keeping his spot there. Yeah, it really did. And I've, I've got to say, I, I don't want to dwell on this because we've we've done the Heaton versus Hart debate to death recently and a lot of people have been proved right in that there was a personality problem um whether this is right or wrong and whether the players should be doing this you cannot hide the camaraderie that tom heaton has got with those defenders in front of him even taylor now who he hasn't played with um for, for a significant amount of time he just gets them and it's little things like um that save a couple of weeks ago um ben me was in his face and high-fiving him and fist pumping him and, and really congratulating him on an amazing save and we saw it again as matt just said when Tarkovsky made that block, Heaton's turn around and he's in his face straight away, like pointing at him going, yes, you, that's amazing. And even when Hart pulled out some fantastic saves this season, nobody really reacted and you didn't seem to get that high fivery going that that clearly these boys have got and the relationship they've got. Um, so, you know, whilst we don't necessarily want to dwell on the Hart problem, um, 
it was very nice to see our captain back. And that kind of good feeling has got to emulate across the emulate. Is that the right word? I feel like I'm struggling with words tonight. I feel like I'm saying words that either don't exist or perhaps mean something very different to that. This is the problem that we get with recording on a Monday night after work is that my brain's a little tired. Um, resonate. I think maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Tom Heaton's, you know, his leadership skills and his his happiness uh, resonates across the team and it's got to have a positive um, impact. Um, Robbie, who is rubbish and has left us again this week, because I don't even know where he is. He was missing last week as well. And I think he's gallivanting somewhere. I think he's that down south in that there, London. I, I don't really know. I hope he's back next week. He's kind of left us for a while i hope he's not quit permanently <laughs> if he has he hasn't told us um but he did contact me after the game and we were talking about tarkovsky and dave i don't know if you think this is fair but he was really just getting so giddy about that tarkovsky block and he actually said you know what tarkovsky is far too good for us now ugh, as much as we don't want to think about that is he the probably the one player in our squad that we may be very vulnerable to lose in the summer um, possibly. I mean, we're in a position where we don't have to sell, but that's not to say that players don't have their price at any club. I mean, that's uh, the case anywhere in the league, uh, pretty much. Um, it was interesting as well, wasn't it? Gareth Southgate was there watching the uh, watching the match on Saturday. Obviously, quite a few players that he could have been keeping an eye on, James Tarkovsky being one of them, uh, Tom Heaton, possibly, as well. Um, and, you know, players on both sides that he... Uh, could be considering for uh, for future squads. But yeah, I mean, he, he's one of those players that catches the eye and it wouldn't surprise you if at some point there was um, interest. I mean, there may well have been interest already, we're not aware of. Uh, there was a story that came out about Liverpool, which was quickly um, denied by both sides, Liverpool, um, and then also uh, Sean Dyche in one of his press conferences said there'd been no uh, no contact about it. But yeah, it, it, it could happen. I mean, we're, we're vulnerable to it with, with any player. Um, the, the amount of money going around and the amount of um, wages that are possible at, um, at some of the teams in the Premier League who have far bigger resources than uh, than Burnley means that there's always a possibility that players will, uh, will be tempted by bids from elsewhere. And we'll just have to wait and see on that. I mean, perhaps less likely in the uh, January window. Um, it's one of those where in the summer there might be uh, you know, uh, interest uh, being uh, increased from elsewhere and we'll just have to take that as it comes. Yeah, it's a funny one really because I think if you look at the players that we've got now and the squad we've got, I don't think we've ever had such quality in every single position and, and quite frankly this is the best squad we've ever had. But for the first time in ages, I don't, I'm not immediately worried about clubs coming in and trying to steal all our best players off us you know in, in seasons previously either through a financial need or through a star that we've had in the ranks you've always been very nervous in transfer windows and worried that our star player is going to go but I don't feel like that at the moment even though we've got the best players that we've ever had and I, I do wonder whether we've got a batch of very stereotypically Burnley players that maybe don't necessarily suit the style of play that um, other Premier League clubs have. We are quite unique in the way that Deitch has set us up and the way that we address games. So maybe that's helping us to keep you know some of our star players there. But Tarkovsky is definitely one that I'm a little bit worried about. I'm not worried about Liverpool because I think this is maybe the third transfer window in a row where we've, he's been linked to Liverpool. And I just don't 
I just don't see him spending that money on him. Um, and that's absolutely no offence to Tarkovsky. But they're looking in the Van Dyke quality of, of defenders and Tarkovsky's just not there yet. That's not to say he might not get there. But I feel like a, there's a snobbery among some Liverpool fans. I just don't think they'd be particularly pleased with that signing. Um, I'm just going to park, just hold that thought, you two, because I'm going to come back to transfers in a minute. I just want to just finish off the... Um, Fulham game. Um, I think Matt, you wanted to have a quick word, didn't you, about um, the Taylor penalty appeal, which was after the Tarkovsky shot um, block. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure I saw this um, during the game, and I haven't seen it in any um, replays since. So I'm going to hand over to you to discuss this point because I'm not, I don't think I remember which bit you're talking about here. Yeah, so there's a, a moment, I'm actually just trying to find it back on the Clarks Player highlights to watch it a second time. There was a moment, I think it made it come from a corner, a second phase from a corner, um, where basically Taylor goes, and I think he slips actually, he's not far inside the box, kind of just to the left-hand side of the D, and, and, and I think he does slip, which then turns it into a challenge, which I don't think gets a touch on the ball, really. And I think we're very lucky. I don't know whether the referee maybe just gave him the benefit of the doubt with the conditions or what, but it was just, you know, it was probably, you know, the biggest shout Fulham had in um, for a penalty, um, certainly in their second half, with, with all the pressure they were giving. Um, and it... It felt in the second half that we rode our luck in various ways, not just with the Tarkovsky block um, and with Tom Heaton's saves. Um, they, were, they were just launching the ball into the box as we had done in the first half. Um, and it could have been, you know, we could have been on the other end of a 4-2 defeat, really, on another day. So, um, yeah, it, it was just, for me, a, a moment where the game could have turned and we could have, been, you know, coming away with only a point. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember seeing that in the day. And I wonder whether my seat's at the opposite end. It's towards the Beal and in the James Hargreaves. So it's just like way at the other end of the pitch. And I just wonder whether um, I just didn't see it. I think I've got, I've got a great people to sit around me at Turf. I love the people who sit around us. But they are real pains for standing up anytime anything happens down at the cricket field stand. And I'm five foot two and maybe a quarter. I don't even think I'm a half. Um, so I often can't see when people stand up. So I think I just missed it. But um, like you say, Matt, we rode our luck in so many ways. And I think we are very lucky that that Fulham side is as fragile as it is at the moment. I feel like they are playing some really attractive football, Fulham, but I'd, I'd question whether they've got the nitty gritty to do the ugly side that's needed in these last 16 games to, to get survival. Um Burnley, as, as we know, have now clawed themselves, got a little bit of daylight between the bottom three and ourselves in 15th. We are no, by no means out of danger yet. But I think, Dave, the, the outlook's looking a little bit more positive for the rest of the season, isn't it? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, three three wins in a row helps with that. Um, we do have to uh, sound a, a note of caution as well, I think, though. Um, I was looking back at um, comparing previous seasons and we were way behind uh, all the other seasons uh, in terms of the same stage points. When you look at uh, where we are now after 22 matches, we've just gone back ahead uh, of 2009-10 and also 2014-2015. We've got one more point now after 22 matches. We're on 20 points in both those seasons after 22 games. Uh, But we have to remember those two seasons, yeah, we had particularly uh, 2009-10, a very poor end to the uh, season. Uh, 2014-15, again, we were 
having to grind results out and, and never really got there. But both those seasons were ones that ended in relegation and Burnley are just one point ahead of both those. So we know we've got a lot of work to do still in the second half of the season. It's possible, not certain, that the points required for this season, the total required to get to um, 17th place, will be lower than in previous seasons because of the way that the top six appear to be a lot more dominant. When you get teams at the top who are far and away ahead, then it it means that that total tends to go go down. We tend to see that the number of points required for survival is lower. Um, and it may well be that 34, 35 points might be enough. Um, but that still means that Burnley are probably going to have to find um, either four wins and um, several draws or five wins and maybe a draw to, to get to that level. So there's a long way to go. We've, we looked at the um, the running last week, didn't we, when on the uh, podcast and particularly those last four games. Uh, three of those four are against uh, teams in the top six. Uh, it's a real tough running. So we look at games coming up. We've got uh, Watford away and then Southampton uh, at home, obviously Manchester United um, in between there. Um, particularly the Watford and the Southampton games are going to be ones where we need to uh, continue the form we've shown the last three games and try and get some more points on the board because that will take the pressure off. Yeah, I don't think anybody's suggesting that we are out of the woods yet. I think it's pretty clear that we need to get some more points. I'm really, really worried about our running towards the end of the season. Our last six games particularly are just horrendous. So we have, and our last four are potentially zero points from four. So effectively, we have to consider that our season will probably finish four games before everybody else's does. And, and um, we have to get the points on the board then. Um, looking ahead to the rest of the season, I mean, there's not really been any transfer news yet not even any speculation either it feels like it's been very quiet on the transfer front for now but we had an email in from John Taylor um, this week who wanted us to have a quick look about the possible transfers coming in and he did say um, the common view seems to be that we need a new winger I think most of us have probably accepted that he says we already have four wide players JBG, Lennon, Brady and McNeil Obviously, we have a short-term issue due to injuries and and a daft suspension. I love that. Um, But if we get a new winger, who is going to lose out when others become available again? Based on past selections, it will be McNeil. Is that really what we as fans want? So thanks for your email, John. Um, Matt, I'm going to send that over to you. Um, He's got a point, hasn't he, that, you know, we're not... I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a... shortage of wide players we know and we know we've got four in there and actually McNeil's proved to be a bit of a bonus one because when in earlier parts of the season we were crying out for a winger that was before McNeil really cemented himself as as one of the first choices for the team um but I think it's not necessarily the width it's just the general lack of creativity and I'm not sure whether that needs to be a winger or an, an upgrade on our strikers I mean where where are you now sitting in terms of what we need to bring in? Um, yeah, I, I think what I'm expecting from this window, uh, if anything, is possibly a winger, possibly a loan to cover the Lennon injury and and, and to give um, McNeil maybe some some time to rest because he you know he, he's not used to this intensity uh, and frequency of playing. Um, everybody wants him to play every minute of every game at the minute, and rightly so. But at some point, he's probably going to experience a bit of burnout, uh, and you know his form might may drop off. Um, I don't think we should necessarily think if we've got four wide players 
that's enough because this is Burnley and this is Sean Dyche. And when someone gets injured, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, it seems to take them longer to come back into the team, longer to get to 90 minutes. Um, so I think we, we should maybe overcompensate for that um, and uh, and have more than four because, you know, Brady's been out for the best part of a year. Um, and JBG, you know, he's picking up a knock here and a knock there. Um, and yeah, so, so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about overcompensating in positions. You only have to look at our goalkeepers to know that Daesh isn't worried about having too many people for, for a position. Um, do we need more up front? Well, a few weeks ago, I might have said yes. It's the strikers, you know, Chris Wood started scoring now. Saturday wasn't the greatest advertisement for, for either of them, I don't think. Um, but hopefully that's just a blip and hopefully that Wood and Barnes combination can continue to roll on and get some more goals. Um, Vokes is fit. He's there on the bench. He's ready to come on and, and, and score a header here and there. And I think from what I saw of Vidra against Barnsley, I think he just needs time. I think he looks like a rusty striker who needs more game time. Um, and I don't know how he gets that. Um, but I don't expect Dice to be going into the market for a striker. Um, I know we've been linked with a derby right back at Youngster. Um, that may be kind of future planning you know, for when Barsley gets nearer to the end of his career. But um, other than that, I've I've learned to expect nothing and be happy when something happens in the transfer window. <laughs> Surely that can apply to so many things as a Burnley fan. <laughs> Do you know what? I might have to rename the podcast this week and just say learn to expect nothing. That's uh, that's inspirational words from producer Matt. Um, Dave, just very quickly before we go on to preview Watford then, um, what's on your shopping list in terms of, of players coming in? Um, I don't think we'll bring too many players in. I think it, it perhaps does depend on the severity of um, Aaron Lennon's injury, how long he's going to be out for. I think if he's out for longer than we're letting on, then that might have a, a, a bearing on, on who we bring in and, and also what we bring in. Matt, Matt had mentioned quite rightly the option for, for loans, which we haven't done too often under Sean Dyche. Um, but that might be something we can look at as an option for the rest of the season in that position. Uh, in terms of uh, striking options, yeah, I guess we'd like to have more striking options. But again, you're looking at the quality now of players you're going to get in. It's going to be a, a, a big money signing and probably January isn't the time to do that. I would expect maybe it's more likely if we're going to do that, um, that it might be in the in the summer. So it, it's probably going to be one or two. I, I don't expect to be a lot of signings. Uh, wingers definitely on there. Um, I think one or two of the uh, rumours going around, there's um, uh, another right back was mentioned as well, and the uh, uh, some of the rumours that were going around the last week, uh, last day or so. So we can't read too much into it. I know that we like to keep our cards close to our chest, so it's it's quite possible that um, news does come in. It's probably going to be later in the window rather than sooner, and it may well be someone from from total left field. I'm not talking in terms of position, but in terms of um, someone we perhaps uh, wasn't on our radar, we weren't expecting, and it'll be a nice surprise for us in, in a week or two's time. 
Excellent. Well, mine, my money's still on Jay coming because I feel like that's something that just doesn't seem to be giving up the ghost. So um, that would be nice. Um, let's move on then. The Clarets are next week facing Watford side who have had a really strong season, not maybe fallen away slightly from the fantastic start that they had, but they see themselves sat in seventh place and kind of look like it's between them, Leicester, Everton and West Ham to see who clinches that seventh place. I was talking to some Watford fans on Love Radio this week on their Watford show and they were talking about whether or not they should get excited about Europe and, and what it means as a fan t- to get in there. Um, but I don't think there's any doubt about it that this is going to be a really tricky side. It would be fantastic to get four Premier League wins on the bounce, but I think um, a draw would be something I'd be very happy about. Um Statman Dave, I've got my cheat sheet open. It's looking very multicoloured, is my traffic light system. Um, you want to talk us through some head to heads? Uh, yeah, we've got the previous games against Watford uh, in front of me, uh, as you have the, the uh, list of past matches uh, away from home against Watford. Um, we don't have a record going back quite as far as some of the other teams we've looked at uh, this season. The first game uh, we played against Watford uh, was in 1971. Um, and we lost the first three visits to uh, to Vicarage Road as well. But overall, we've got a decent record down there. We've had um, six wins uh, out of 20 in total in all competitions, which is uh, marginally better and certainly a lot better than some of the ones we've looked at uh, this season. When you're looking at certainly the uh, the Man Uniteds and, and Man Cities, we'll obviously be previewing both of those games um, in a week or so's time. And they do make uh, quite stark reading, whereas the the Watford one, at least there are some wins in between to look at. Um, you've actually got to get into the uh, 21st century to find any uh, victories. Um, we had a 1-0 a win was our first away win at Watford. Uh, that was under Stan Turnant in March 2001. Uh, Gareth Taylor scored the goal in a 1-0 win. Um, and then also the following season, February 2002, uh, we had a 2-1 win. That was uh, Ian Cox and Paul Weller with the goals again uh, with Stan Turnant as manager. Uh, and then after that, you've got to go forward to... Oh, In between that, um, we had uh, the one game that wasn't a league game against Watford. We played them in the uh, FA Cup uh, quarterfinal, you may recall, in uh, March 2003. Uh, a bit of a disappointing day at the end of it, and Burnley had lost that. Uh, that match uh, 2-0 again down at uh, Vicarage Road uh, Stan Turnant was uh, was the manager um, but then after that we've had uh, a few more victories they've been sort of uh, interspersed with uh, with defeats just a couple of draws in there uh, the victories were um, under Steve Cottrell uh, we had a, a 1-0 win with Ian Moore scoring that was uh, early on in the season 2004-05 um, we also had uh, in November 2007 a 2-1 win uh, under Owen Coyle. Uh, that was Andy Gray and Joey Johnson scored for, for Burnley. Um, and then a, another win under um, uh, Eddie Howe as well. We had a 3-1 win down there, a more convincing one. Um, coming more up to date, um, last season uh, we had a really good win at Watford in that little uh, spell we had. We had five consecutive wins. Um, one of those matches was uh, down at Watford. Uh, Sam Vokes and Jack Cork got the goals that day in a, a 2-1 win. And that was actually our first top flight win at Watford. It was only our, our second uh, attempt, but it was the first time uh, that Burnley had won uh, an away match at Vicarage uh, Road. Well, comprehensive stats. And all of that leads me to believe that Burnley will 
I don't know. <laughs> Matt, taking all of that into consideration, obviously there's a bit of a mixed bag there. We've had um, some good results, some not so good results. And we've had some silly yellow, red cards and we've had some penalties. We've had all sorts of way at Vicarage Rose. It tends to be a really um, feisty affair and definitely an entertaining game. I guess taking all of that aside, what's your gut instinct about how we'll perform on Saturday? Do you think we've got any chance of coming away with a win or is, is a draw pretty much what we can hope for? Um, I think we have a chance, uh, you know, just looking back at, at kind of Watford's recent kind of form, they are, they're not doing too bad. And, and like you say, they are pushing for that seventh spot, which may open up, as we all know, into a Europa, Europa League spot. Um, and looking ahead of the matches they've got coming up, they, they've got Brighton and Cardiff coming up amongst Spurs and Liverpool. So they'll certainly be earmarking this one as one they'd like to get three points out of. Um, and... You know, we, we went away to Huddersfield a, a, a couple of weeks back and, and ground out a victory there. This will be probably, it will be a, a tougher test. Um, but we've not really, you know, we've not really had to travel since we went to Arsenal. So I don't know. It's, it's a really tough one to call, I think. I think since Boxing Day, this has probably been the toughest one to, to really call. Um, and with it being a way match as well, you kind of got to wonder how Dyche will approach it. Um, you've got to wonder who's going to be fit in, for Saturday, whether JBG will be available for selection, whether Ward and Defoe have done any more today to put themselves up there for selection. Uh, or in, and um, yeah, it'll be interesting also see if, if Andre Gray makes an appearance at any point. Yeah, he's bound to score against us if he does, isn't he? <laughs> he hates us. Um, just sticking with you, Matt. Uh, one of the, the comments from the Watford fans this week has been that one of the things they've struggled with this season is breaking down very resilient and very stubborn um, get, uh, sides who will defend with their lives. And that sounds kind of familiar. And I think I did comment that Burnley were the absolute masters of that style of football. So that's kind of reassuring that we might be able to, to, to go there and either get ourselves a, a pretty attractive draw or even try and maybe nick one on the break. Yeah, if that's true, if they do struggle to break teams down, then you know we are one of the toughest tests in the league for for, for that. Um, the worry is that that we might get completely focused on that and might, and might forget to actually try and attack ourselves. Um, and sometimes that can just lead to us losing a game one nil, you know, kind of late on because we haven't focused on on trying to get forward and take our opportunities when when they present themselves. So I certainly, whilst I whilst they'd want us to, to not concede early, to not give ourselves a mountain to climb, to not have to change our game plan too early in the game. Um, I'd also don't really want to see us completely sitting back, inviting them on, um, you know, because they, they, they've got some quality in there. We saw a, a quality strike from Cleverly at the weekend and, and in that crazy game they had down at Bournemouth in the new year, you saw, again, that, you know, they've got people who can just pull stuff out of the hat. So, I wouldn't want to to invite them on too much, but um, yeah, we we are organised. That side of our game has returned now uh, post Christmas, so you know the, the, there's more confidence that we can we can shut out a team if we want to. Definitely, um, Dave. Final thoughts from you: Are you expecting a particularly big change in terms of approach to the game, and are you expecting us to get anything from the game? I mean, it'll certainly be a tough test. It's a tougher test than uh, than games we've had recently. Um, I think I'd be more than happy with a, a, a point. 
Um, that's not to say that we shouldn't go down there with a, a positive attitude and see if we can get a, 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 all three points from the game. But I think on balance, um, if, if we came away with a point from the game, I think most Burnley fans would be uh, delighted with that. Um, I think I'd be I'd be certainly happy with a, a, a point. It takes the uh, unbeaten run forward as well. Um, in, in terms of formation, I think he's, he's probably not going to do a lot different. I think we're going to stick with... Uh, with what we've uh, had in the last few games, that's worked well for us going back to the four four two, subject to um, uh, availability of, of players. We do have that option um, with uh, Stephen Ward and uh, and Charlie Taylor, which we tried in the um, in the cup game against Barnsley as well. So that might be something that comes into play with uh, Stephen Ward having had another uh, full ninety minutes in the uh, the Lancashire FA Senior Cup game this afternoon. So. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, more of the same, more resilience, and if we can just uh, grind out a, a result, whether that's a, a draw or a, a win. Um, we've had a few in the past at Watford. Let's let's hope we can have another one on uh, on this weekend. Amen to that. Well, that is. All we've got time for. We've had a look through the game. We've had a look through Watford coming up and we've decided what's going to happen next week. <laughs> we've got uh, usual thanks to, to Great for this um, episode this week. Thanks, Dave and Matt, for joining me and giving me their pearls of wisdom. And an extra special thanks to Matt for editing this week's podcast. Not only has he given up his time this week to come on the show and be on the panel, he's then going to come off here and then start editing and putting it together for you to download and listen to so thanks, Matt. Um, I would thank Robbie, but he's disappeared and left us. So no thanks to you. Um, I would I like to thank finally you, the listener, um, for downloading and listening to this podcast. As ever, your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We have got some fantastic things lined up for you in the next few weeks um, on the show. We are getting... Um, fan favourite Andy Payton's going to be on the show to talk about this current Burnley side and his history at the club. We've got uh, Burnley fan Scott Cunliffe. Let me just make sure I've got that right. Yes, yeah, Scott Cunliffe, who is the fan who's running to every Premier League away game this season to raise a phenomenal amount of money for charity. He's going to be joining us. And we should also have on Gemma Avery as well, who's going to finally give us a bit of an update on the Burnley ladies. I feel like we've been neglecting them a little bit with what's been going on on the pitch with the, the men's first team. So she's going to be giving us an update. Um, we will be back next week, though, for a analysis of Watford away, hopefully with three points in the bag. Um, until then, if you've got any questions or you've got any topics you want us to cover, then please do tweet us in the usual manner or send us an email from the website and we'll have a look through those. Um, thanks again for listening in. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the None and Ever podcast. Until next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year.
Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.